Welcome to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension soybean specialist, Dr. Sean Castile, and Extension corn specialist, Dr. Dan Quinn. On this episode, Sean and Dan recap the 2022 season in front of a live audience at the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo. A lot of guys were just very pleasantly surprised. It, it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, we had some of our trials that end up being some of the best yields we've seen. At the end of the year, we turned out a, a pretty good yielding year, uh, nearly a record. These last probably five, five to eight years, other than 2019, most every year we've continued to like break a record. This podcast is made possible by the Indiana Corn Marketing Council and Indiana Soybean Alliance. Your Indiana corn and soybean checkoff investments yesterday are paying off today. New research, new uses, demand creation, bringing dollars back to the farm. Check it out at yourcheckoff.org. Now your host for Purdue Crop Chat, who's your ag today's Eric Pfeiffer. Well, good morning, and again, thanks for joining us at the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Who's Your Ag Today, and I say good morning for those of you here in the audience with us today. Thank you for being here. If you're listening in the traditional way via the podcast, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Whenever you're listening to it, we thank you for joining us at HoosierAgToday.com on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, wherever. We appreciate you joining us. You know, here on the Purdue Crop Chat, we we talk about crops. There's a lot to be excited about at Purdue University right now. A lot to be excited. We have any boilers out here? Boilermakers? There we go. Purdue men's basketball, number one in the land, right? Number one in the land. Tried to get Matt Painter, couldn't get him. Uh, Sorry. Thought I might be able to get like Ethan Morton, one of the players. No, couldn't get him either. Though the guy I have kind of looks a little bit like Ethan Morton. Uh, He is a 6'3", 6'4", guy that has... Oh, give me more credit now. 6'5". 6'5", guy that I'm not sure he's ever touched a basketball, but um, (laughs) he's here anyway, and he knows a thing or two about soybeans, so... Purdue Extension Soybean Specialist Sean Castile is here. Good morning, Sean. Thank you for that glorious introduction. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Purdue football, Big Ten West champs, new head football coach. Couldn't get him either. Sorry. Uh, I tried. Devin Mockaby, freshman walk. I tried to get him too. He's on scholarship now. Good for him. Couldn't get him. But I do have a guy who once threw a spiral. Once. One time. One time and has driven by ross Aid Stadium a number of times. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Quinn, Purdue Extension Corn Specialist. Hello, Dan. Hello, Eric. And here on the Purdue Crop Chat, we do like to talk crops, and we talk agronomy. We talk about what's happening this year, what we can look forward to next year, and let's just start there. Let's start with where we've been. Let's go back and take a deep dive into the 2022 year Going all the way back to planting season, it was interesting. We had some good weather very early on, and we'll talk soybeans here first since they are king here in Indiana. They are. So very early on, we were able to get stuff in, and then we had some weather issues, maybe not so much getting in, and then we got in a little bit later. But all in all, soybeans had a pretty good year here, Sean. Yeah, soybeans this year, we were looking at the spring and pretty anxious to get out there. One thing that we've talked about for a number of years is to get out there, plant timely, get ahead of that other crop, and and get the full yield potential. And out of that, uh, this spring, we had these just 
aggravating, kind of like your introduction, aggravating uh, <laughs> little tenths or two inches of rain. I have played basketball once or twice. You know, I grew up in Illinois. I, I just have to go back to that. <laughs> and we are at Grand Park, and so I believe there's probably a basketball hoop around here somewhere, so we can have a little pickup game if let's you go, like, Eric. Let's go one-on-one, Castile. Okay. I'm on it. Game to 21. I'll even spot you to 20. Okay. You banks over here saying he's got winner. He's got next. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's get back to the real real deal here. Um, so soybeans, uh, definitely we want to get out there timely. But we would just have these aggravating just 10th or 2-inch rains here and there. And, and we weren't getting out there as early as we wanted, late April, early May. And then finally we broke free and, uh, you know, 10th of May or so. And we got 50% of the crop in, in in two weeks. And so I think that made a, a huge difference in terms of just what we can do. We're at a technology expo and, and what can be done, almost run 24-hour shifts essentially on a lot of these fields to get the crop planted. So I think that's one of the advantages that we have with the equipment, the technology, and just the people to, to get it done. Um, so we advanced in that way. Emergence was pretty good, but then we just stalled out, right? Uh, the month of June, we were dry, and, and those beans just didn't look like they were doing much of anything. Uh, and a lot of people say, what's happening to my beans? They are just sitting there. Well, fortunately, they were rooting down deep. Uh, so at that point, Grandpa always talked about, I'd rather have a dry June than a dry August. And, and that's what we had. As long as we had adequate soil moisture for those roots to continue growing deeper to access that water later, I think we, we set up for a, a good potential to still yield well. And, and thankfully, that's what happened. Even though those beans didn't look good in June, we ended up having a little bit of rain that came in July and August for the most part and just brought that crop back around. Uh, that crop wasn't a huge you know, plant biomass type, which is great because we want a, a plant that's compact, that's efficient, uh, so efficient when harvesting sunlight and then transferring that over to energy and, and pods and, and seeds. And so uh, at the end of the year, we turned out a, a pretty good yielding year. Uh, nearly a record these last probably five five to eight years other than 2019 most every year we've continued to like break a record yield um, and, and again be the breadwinner for the farmer of indiana and the midwest again compared to that other crop let's talk about that other crop dan i remember early on this season with farmers saying this might be the best one i've ever raised this might be the one some issues in there and maybe brought that down. Talk about what happened this year with corn. Yeah, I think on the, on the corn side, it was, it was a really similar start to, to soybeans. You know, I, Sean gives me a hard time about the beans, but, you know, they, you know, when you're getting the planter out and you're trying to get those kinks worked out, maybe stuff isn't working very well, you know, you, get the, you put the beans in there. But when the, when the conditions are right and the soil conditions are right and beautiful out, that's when you put the corn in the oh, seed box, oh, right? So you're calling the corn the prima donna, you know, the diva yeah. is what you're, and then the soybeans can handle <laughs> exactly. most anything the, you throw yep, at it. The, the corn's a little more pampered, you know, you, you know, it's kind of, you know. High maintenance, you might even say. <laughs> Okay. Exactly. You just, Glad this is clear. Those, those prime conditions, when the soil is just right, what would you rather be doing? Planting corn or beans? I'd be rather planting corn at that time. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, planting, we were behind, especially in the, in the month of May. A um, lot of just short windows here and there where guys were able to get in here and there. I know I was looking at some of our weather data recently um, from some of our trials. We had a, a trial we snuck in like May 12th and then got two inches of rain uh, the day after. So um, it's just was kind of a frustrating start. Uh, we were behind, but then Sean mentioned, you know, in a short period of time, we just, just 
the power with some of this equipment and the speed that, that some of these guys can plant at, uh, all of a sudden we caught up right up to that five-year average, and we're kind of above that five-year average. So um, it did kind of all work out in the end, but a lot of the stuff w was a little bit behind um, when we started. And then kind of the big issue with, with corn and, and beans, too, this year is we got the crop in, and then the faucet shut off. Uh, month of June was was so dry. Um, I know in West Lafayette we had 1.2 inches in the month of June. Um, our our farm that's kind of in southern Lafayette had 0.6 inches of rain in the month of in the month of June. So so very dry. A lot of leaf rolling uh, going out there. Um, but you know, like Sean had mentioned, you'd you'd rather have it be dry at that point in time um, than whether or not you had it. You know, especially in corn, like mid you know early mid July when you're getting in the, that pollination period or later in the season during grain fill period um, so you know you look at the yield average that came out when we we're in the month of June just how dry it was and the rolling and just corn wasn't looking very good at that point in time I, I kind of thought the yield would be a little bit lower but you know you look at the November report we're at 191 bushels per acre um, and even a lot of our trials and talking to a lot of farmers and a lot of the meetings I've been doing on these last few weeks I asked you know how did the crop turn out and a lot of guys were just very pleasantly surprised it, it kind of came out of nowhere um, we had some of our trials that end up being some of the best yields we would seen so 191 bushels per acre you know last year was a state record yield average 195 and and this year's 191 that's the second best uh, we've had in the state you know i always say i've been here two years and you know i'm gonna breaking records <laughs> so is that your way of kind of slyly saying bob finally got out of the way for you know the new young blood we can you know do a little rubbing here on, on bob is not even here right pushing yeah. bob out soon my goodness he retires at the end of the year just leave him alone man um <laughs> no, so let's let's talk about, you know, this harvest season as well. Mm -hmm. Really, I think the word to describe harvest season might be uneventful. We, we've touched on this before. Like, <laughs> so let's talk about it? Yeah, that but, about right. but it, I, mean, I mean, really, that's, that's like ideal yeah. for farming. Unless you had some equipment breakdowns or something, really, overall, it was pretty uneventful yeah and no doubt whenever you had a, a stressful planting season you know you think about that it's like that is one of the most stressful points you try to get it out get it emerged get a stand establishment it's like okay now i can breathe i can you know weather the storms through the, the the growing season but then harvest comes along we certainly have had those that again those pestering rains that could continue we didn't have that we were able to run late september mm -hmm. and, and start and keep on rolling uh, we were here a year ago doing this and there were guys still out yeah. doing this here in, in mid-December trying to get everything out because of how wet it was a year ago. Just not the case this year. Yeah, it was a complete flip of the of the growing season in terms of the harvest. And then also that, that set us up really well for the soil sampling, fertility, tillage work. And uh, so in some cases, I think Dan and I have talked about this, and guys were saying, I wish it would just rain a day so I could take a break, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. the idea that, you know, I'm just running too wide open. I need a, a breather here. Dan, let's let's talk about corn and how inferior it is to soybeans. <laughs> no, I, I say that. This year, it might become the trend now of many years that soybeans have overtaken corn yeah. in the state. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts. I'll just open that up to you. I'm disappointed, Eric. You know, we're here so, for you. This is a therapy <laughs> session. You can this, just this share a, openly. This is an open can, space. Do you have like a couch I can sit and sit back? This on is a and, safe place, you know, Dan. It'll be okay. Uh, <laughs> 
this, um, this is being recorded with like pod bean just just so yes. that underlying <laughs> message with a podcast a podcast yep yes okay. that's true it should be a kernel cast uh-huh. that's what I, I say um, but you know uh, with corn I think the big shift in acreage is we've seen a lot of a lot of it had to do really last year with the the price of fertilizer. Um, you know, nitrogen fertilizer um, being double, triple of what it was the year past. You know, that's that was a big standoffish for a lot of guys, and also, also them just worried if they can even get nitrogen fertilizer uh, for their corn. So you see some of that acreage shift um, a little bit in that aspect. Um, two, I think you look at nitrogen fertilizer now, and it's it started to come back down. Uh, talk to some of the retailers and stuff. It, they don't seem too concerned in terms of supply um, this year, so it seems like it's going to be there. It's still priced pretty high. I think the last I heard it, about 95 cents to a dollar a pound, so not as high, but but still, you know, about double of what it was a couple of years ago. Um, but I think that that probably had had some level of play um, into it um, as well. I'd like to see those those numbers kind of shift back um, a little bit, and maybe you know, if we had such high soybeans this year, you know, I I feel like Indiana farmers do hold to their rotations uh, pretty steadily. Most guys you talk to them are are pretty 50-50 um, on their farm, um, so maybe we can see that acreage shift a little bit well i I remember a year ago and again the price of fertilizer was huge in that late harvest and then Mm. did we get anything done in terms of tillage give it fertility applications um and then this idea of the switch of going to beans and yeah we do have higher acreage of beans Mm. um but i think what was interesting me a year ago and i'd I'd say that's still holding true now is whenever you look at market price for the corn again i'm Mm. trying to give you a little bit here is that i mean it's still paid out even with how high the nitrogen price was you had a good market price on corn that you could still pencil it out and so but it 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 still hurts whenever you're paying a thousand dollars a ton you're like okay that just doesn't feel right i need to switch over to that other crop that isn't as needy and can still yield well and Mm. give profit but I, i think there could probably be a little bit of switching and when you look at the acreage yeah yeah and and looking at you know this corn crop this year you know, there's a lot of folks that were pretty concerned in the month of June of whether or not this corn was, was going to do okay. Um, typically, corn, you know, really needs that rainfall. You think about pollination in July and that aspect. And, and beans, you know, they more search for that rainfall in that August, you know, later September. Um, but, but corn, I think we pollination, we went through pollination very well. We were able to catch some of those rains in the months of July. I actually do think, and I think we mentioned this in one of the past podcasts, is some of those folks that actually snuck that corn in a little bit earlier, and that earlier planting date, actually got hurt a little bit more because they were hitting those more critical stages of that plant's life when it was still really dry. Um, and the guys that were able to go a little bit later or a little more delayed um, actually yielded really well because they we're catching more moisture in those more more critical growth stages. And then later in the season, I think a lot of that yield just came from the grain fill aspect of corn, just that kernel fill, that kernel weight. Um, I look back and we had a trial this year on campus and we had the exact same trial, exact same hybrid, basically exact same location. And we took kernel weights on, on both, both trials. You know, it's not, you know, a direct comparison, but year after year, and it was pretty drastic how much bigger the kernels were and how much more heavier the kernels were this this past year um, and I think that had to do with something where that yield actually came from it's just we had really good grain fill conditions we had really good moisture really moderate temperatures too you know it wasn't as warm in, in the month of August and month of September um, so I think that you know kind of speaks to the hybrids that we have you know now where they just are pretty resilient where we caught some of those that late season grain fill conditions that were really good and we were able to tack on uh, some of that weight to those kernels the size of those kernels and, and make up for some of that yield. 
Now, we've touched on this in, in previous podcasts as well, but we'll touch on it again here, Sean. He talked about early corn maybe got hurt. Was that the same thing with early soybeans? Uh, you, you talk about being timely, mm-hmm. which is kind of early, but sure. maybe in 2022, not the best idea. Yeah, so in terms of timely, the the ideal, you know, late April, early May is just a broad stroke of the brush across the whole state, and that's a nice spot to be. But field conditions should be fit, right? And, and, and to go, it doesn't have to be perfect like, like Dan talked about. <laughs> but all that to be said, so let's go with what Dan talked about. You know, the earlier corn didn't do as well. You know, it was advancing through growth stages, but also was it pushed? Was that field condition not quite right? And so now you have a compromised root system, a compaction, so then you add insult to injury with those dry conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on the soybean side, if it was pushed a little bit earlier, yeah, it's advancing uh, through the growth stages. But the thing that's different about that crop in particular, you got, what, seven to ten days for pollination. you got to hit that on the corn. Mm-hmm. On the beans, we can be six, seven, eight weeks. Uh, and, you know, that that planting period, the flowering period, those beans were flowering forever this year. In other words, they continue to flower and then abort those flowers. And so that crop was able to adapt it wasn't putting investments into mm-hmm. uh into pod development because conditions weren't fit so earlier plantings yeah you might think they they could get hit hit on the nose a little bit here with the dry conditions but they were just continuing to abort the flowers once some rain came back in july and august they still yielded quite well so i think it's about setting the stage and again the crops do differ in terms of okay what they can withstand in terms of um risk and weather risk and so i think we were able to probably weather the storm a little bit better than an earlier planted yeah, corn yeah i was gonna say you know sean jokes with me that that corn's a little bit more of a you know a prima nana and high maintenance but it's 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 kind of true really <laughs> um because you heard it here <laughs> you can, it's on recording but um you know soybeans can adapt they can branch you know if you can you sneak it in early and it's not as fit and you get some stand loss you know a lot of times those beans can adapt and branch and and do all that aspect and corn you know it does some but it you know if you have you know you don't plant into really good conditions and you lose some of that stand that corn is just going to get hammered um in, in terms of yield so that's why we always you know talking about corn you know we're losing a little bit of potential yield uh you know, potential yield when we plant a little bit later, but we always tell folks to just chase, you know, conditions rather than calendar date. I think beans, there's actually some physiological aspects um, to, to taking advantage when you do plant those, those earlier beans where corn, just getting it in good conditions, getting it out of the ground quickly and uniform and, and getting it off to a good start is, is a lot more important than trying to get it in, in a calendar date, you know, early May, late April, um, very kind of differs um, from the soybeans. Rain or shine, or shine then rain, that crop is your number one focus. While you're navigating the weather radar, your corn and soybean checkoffs are tackling the twists and turns of new markets, new uses, and new value-added ventures. From hyaluronic soybeans to corn-fed chickens, we're growing opportunities while you grow your crops. Check out what your checkoff is doing for you at yourcheckoff.org. Yesterday, again, we're here at the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo at Grand Park in Westfield. And yesterday on the seminar stage, we had our chief meteorologist, Ryan Martin, who, by the way, he had a T-shirt on that said, World's Okayest Meteorologist. <laughs> we we only spring for the best at Hoosier Ag today. Well, I so. mean, whenever you can be right, what, 10%, 20%, what, 50% of the time, it doesn't matter, right? He's you still got a job. Yeah, we still exactly. have to fill yeah. that time on radio. <laughs> yeah. So, But someone asked an interesting question, and I don't want to get into a big climate change discussion but someone asked him what are your thoughts on global warming climate change and he 
he kind of ducked that a little bit, which I don't blame him. We don't need to open up that can of worms. But he said, on the farm, what I'm seeing, because he's a farmer as well, is maybe we don't go as early. He's seeing about a week shift from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. Maybe planting a week later as opposed to, and, and letting it stay in the field a week later in, in the fall because that's just what he's seeing from a climate standpoint. We've got guys out here trying to get soybeans in in March. Yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, is, is that a concern of yours of going too early? Again, you talk about being yeah. timely, but is it a concern of yours to go too early? Yeah, when, when you think about uh, planting of soybeans, I know guys that have said, oh, the field con- conditions are fit, I'm going in March. And, you know, you can get you can get hit pretty hard. You think about uh, a spring freeze that comes back and, and nips you, because that growing point's above the ground, right? Um, but I have also been pretty amazed on how that crop can adapt. So if you're, you're burning out the terminal, but you've got the auxiliary buds that are there that can branch, uh, I'm, I've done the March plantings. I've compared them to April's and May's, and uh, I'm not a fan of going to March. People can do it. Uh, I just think you have too much of a risk whenever you've got that crop, that seed, I'll put it that way, sitting in the ground three, four weeks, mm-hmm. and if you got water, you got your seed treatment that's getting diluted, it's getting washed down, so now you do not have protection for the most seedling diseases as that crop's emerging. So then you have a little bit more injury that could occur from that. Uh, so I definitely would be more in the April time slot instead of that March. It's interesting, you know, the comment about, you know, going later in the season. I think a lot of our gains over these years uh, on the soybean front is, okay, we are planting earlier, not March per se at the state level, but, but that late April, even mid-April in some of the fields, so early May. Uh, instead of, you know, a lot of our crop, if it's planted by mid, mid-May, mid late May, we felt good about. I think we've switched that mentality in the last five to ten years. But then also what's been occurring in our August and September, we have had beautiful weather. And what I mean by beautiful weather, we've had good sunlight, we've had good temperatures, and we've had the moisture. So often, if you looked at 10 years ago and beyond, uh, before, uh, that August and September, we haven't had the warmer temperatures. We haven't had the sunlight. We've actually got into those nights when we had 50 degrees or less. On the soybean crop, whenever we get to those nights in August and September, that crop's starting to shut down. Versus what we've had more warmer temperatures day and night, that crop's been maintained, and we've had uh, moisture to maintain that. If we haven't had moisture, that crop's going to naturally senesce faster. So I, I think we have gained a lot on that tail end of the season in these last five, ten years uh, because we have warmer conditions, we haven't had cold temperatures, and we've had adequate moisture. Yeah, and the the, the corn has, has been very similar. I think that's where it played in this year and where we got into the combines, got into the fields, and yields were like, holy cow, where, where the heck did this come from? And I think it's back to, to Sean's point is that these conditions, you know, this weather we've seen in August and September, you know, one aspect on the corn front too is with it being as dry as it was in June and parts of July, the disease stayed away. Uh, you think about tar spots and stuff and how bad it was, you know, really in, I think, 2021. Um, and then this year it did come in, but it came in very late. And it, a lot of that disease came in a lot later um, than what folks were thinking. I think a lot of corn just didn't get hit very hard with the disease this year. And that was kind of one of the pluses of having those dry conditions. Um, but we did have those you know, more moderate temperatures. You know, corn does a lot of its work at night. You know, you think about respiration and, and nighttime temperatures and how it can actually impact that corn and how quickly it, it you know, reaches black layer maturity or senescing at the end of the season. And if we have more moderate temperatures, um, you know, 
actually decent rainfall, actual good soil moisture like we did this past year, that corn just, that grain fill period kind of extends a little bit longer and, and those kernels just fill a little bit better. Um, and I think that's where we, we caught some of that, that extra yield this year. Let's, let's talk about, you talk about tar spot. Uh, mm-hmm. let's, let's transition to some of that here. Fungicide applications have become pretty commonplace here over the past mm-hmm. couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps more than in previous years. It, it remains important, and with prices are where they are, it, it's going to just get more important, right? Yeah. 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 So talk about, we've got some technology around here, again, at the Indiana Farm <laughs> Equipment and Technology Expo. Yeah. There's a big spray drone over there. If you haven't seen it, you're out here in the crowd. There's a big spray drone over there, a couple rows over at the Flying Ag booth. This stuff, like, people should probably be taking a serious look at stuff like this mm-hmm. right now. It's not necessarily the future. It's it's yeah, now. Yeah, you know, uh, us at Purdue, I think we have about three of those spray drones uh, across our educators and some of our farms. So, so Purdue is looking at those. Um, from a fungicide standpoint, you know, a big aspect that I look at where these these spray drones can come in. You know, number one, it's they can get into spots that are a lot more difficult to get into. You know, maybe it be more along the field edges or those headlands, and they can get into those tougher areas. But two, especially with corn, you know, not everybody has a high clearance sprayer that they can get over top of the corn. And you think about airplanes, you know, they're becoming, you know, guys that fly the airplanes, that's becoming fewer and far between. They're just getting tougher and tougher to get because the the fungicide demand has, has increased pretty drastically over the last few years. So you might call and say, hey, I need to get my field sprayed with an airplane. And they say, well, we're three weeks out. Um, so, you know, you miss that timing. You know, timing is so critical when it comes to disease management in these crops. And, and if you miss that window. So having something like a, a spray drone, I know there's multiple companies that that, you know, run kind of teams of spray drones. You know, they've been really working on how hard, really hard on how fast they can charge and how many acres they can do and how much they can cover um, in terms of that. So I think that's kind of at the forefront of, of some of this technology. And that's something that I know here at Purdue that, that we're starting to look at um, as well. And Sean, you've kind of been out front with, with this whole drone thing for a long time. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, that came in 2017 when Bob and I went to a field day at Davis, and we had a couple of Davis Farm and the Southeast Farm brought their drones up. We we uh, put them up in the air and said, okay, and the drive back together, we ordered two and had them two days later. So, yes, we have been, you know, going from the toys to tools aspect of it. And so I've actually got a student that just finished up on work with stand assessment and just imagery, and we've got beautiful relationships. So instead of going on counting soybeans now with hula hoops and tape measures, we've got a, a beautiful relationship with the image and canopy cover, and the, that being our threshold. Instead of saying we needed 100,000 plants or 70,000, 80,000 plants, we've got it on a canopy coverage basis uh, from VC to V4, and, and it's a moving target because that crop's growing. So, yeah, there is some just awesome things that are going on there. So you can cover the field in a, a fast way. So do I have enough of a stand and really is enough of a leaf area on the soybean side to, to leave it and, and move on? And so, yeah, it's been a fun thing to see and to use that application in that way. Mm-hmm. It all comes down to cost, right? I'm looking at these farmers out here, and they're like, yeah, cost. I want to say that, that spray drone over there, somewhere around 28 grand. Um, y- you've got to figure it out. And we already talked about fertilizer, okay? Mm-hmm. So that cost has gone up. Uh, last year we were talking about fungicide, herbicide, everything yep. going up. Uh, where are we at this year as far as those are concerned? Where does it make sense for an investment into things like that 
given where we're at right now? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's that's a tough that's a tough question, especially. If, that's know. why I'm here to ask the tough <laughs> questions. And that's why he asked yeah. you first. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think the the spray drones. I think a lot of times are, are maybe a little bit tougher for some some farmers to invest in something like that. Um, but I look at it from a kind of a retail aspect, where maybe retailers kind of have teams of these spray drones, where they are able to get into a lot of these farmers' fields, get in these tougher areas, um, where they can they can get some of these things sprayed, or whether it be field corners or field edges or tree lines. Um, so I think there's that benefit from it. Um, you know, you look at where kind of prices are. Um, I've kind of just been been asking around and kind of find you know where the rumblings are and stuff. And I think fertilizer. I touched on this a little bit earlier. It's come down a little bit. I think the supply issues and kind of the concerns on supply um, aren't aren't there as much this year from some of the retailers. Um, I talked to um, our weed scientist Bill Johnson yesterday and kind of asked him, you know, where's where's glyphosate at? Where's you know Liberty at? You know, some of those herbicides. Um, and I think um, from what he's hearing on the retail side, I think the price is still up there, but the, the supply is going to be there, um, I think, which is a good thing. There's not as much a concern on, you know, I can only do one glyphosate application this next year, or one Liberty application. So I think the supply is there. The price is up a little bit. Um, I think there's some herbicides. I heard, a, I heard a little bit about, you know, the herbicide sharpen. I think there's some issues with supply with that. And I think it actually comes back to not so much the herbicide, but some of those inert ingredients that are in some of these herbicides. So some of those kind of minor inert ingredients that are very, very important, um, if they're not there, the herbicide just does, doesn't perform to the way it should be. So there's some issues on that front. Um, but I think things overall in general are, are improving on the supply side. I think there's just not as much of the concern on the supply aspect, but the price but the price is still up. So there's that concern. I mean, last year we were talking about shortages of these products, not mm -hmm. even necessarily because of a shortage of the products, but because of the packaging. Yeah. Uh, because of COVID, the plastic not available. So I think that we're coming out of that here as well. Mm -hmm. You have something here, Yeah, Sean? I, I want to kind of get back to the harvest and, and looking at uh, we had a great year in terms of uh, harvest, soil sampling, field prep, and, and one thing to just be mindful of, because uh, a year ago we didn't get much soil sampling done, and we probably uh, forewent any kind of fertility application. So trying to bring, bring these fields back up to where they need to be, and so I, I think that we had a great opportunity for that this fall. I just want to be mindful of, okay, those soil test samples that came in, we started to get dry, right? And so one, one nutrient in particular, maybe even a little bit on pH, but potassium can, can give you some crazy low numbers when you have very dry soil sampling like some of these fields were this fall. So being mindful of that whenever those test results come back, uh, kind of compare them to the years mm -hmm. past and, and to see how those have changed, some of your yields. So then as you make that investment, right, we talked about nine but also the investment in potassium, phosphorus, and then even lime that we're matching that up because I, I think that we could look at a place where we might be over applying because those soils are uh, super dry. I think another one, we had an interesting conversation just yesterday that uh, some of these soil samples may be not as uniform as they should have been. All right. You know, you have super dry soil and your hand pushing those in. And mm -hmm. so an eight inch core might actually be a six inch core. And that's that's causing some some issues with the uh, the results that come back. So just be mindful of that. Again, I'm glad that we're able to get out, get a lot of soil samples for fertility. Let's look at those in a, a very systematic way to see it. Do, do these make sense with the yields I've had the last mm -hmm. year? Or was this actually taken a super dry spot and I might need to go back and double check that? Yeah, and I think another kind of point to that, the you know, that good conversation we had uh, yesterday was just kind of the timeliness of, of soil samples and where actually, you know, maybe some folks that sample every four or five years, yep. you know, maybe you wouldn't be 
be able to catch when some of these numbers might be might be way off and it might be too late. So if you're able to maybe sample about every two years or so uh, more frequently with some of these soil samples, then you can get a little bit better comparisons. You can kind of catch, you know, if we had a odd year where it was really dry and maybe our sample, you know, the sampling techniques or what was what was done just wasn't as good because of how dry it was then you're able to kind of compare uh, with those more recent years and, and see you know how okay those numbers are way off you know why why are they having issues um, this past year but going back to how dry it was um, it's something to be mindful of especially with potassium right and, and you talk about return on investment I mean that is I mean Yes, we're at a technology expo, but having the foundation set and understanding where that foundation is and where it's going or has been is critical. And so, you know, every two years or so, just to be able to, to uh, fluctuate, right? And what kind of house are you building? Because you got to know the foundation. So the fertility is a huge part of that. You're listening to Purdue Crop Chat, brought to you by your Indiana corn and soybean checkoff organizations. Visit yourcheckoff.org. Here at the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo, do we have any questions out here for Dan and Sean? Does anyone have anything? If you guys could, like, stump them with something, that would just make my day. And I do want to point out, I've, I've got the wire on my microphone here, so we're going to have to send someone out to actually get the questions. Dan, again, didn't bring the donuts. He, as the new guy, has one job, one job alone, bring the donuts, bring the and it donuts. didn't happen. I'm still waiting for that sponsorship. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so does anyone have any questions for Dan and Sean? Hang on. H- head out there, Dan. Oh, Sean will take care of you uh, this I'll time. I'll be being white today. Sean's been taking care of you for a long time. Let's go. What, what moisture should uh, soil be to send in for a test? So the soil test, uh, mm-hmm. so basically the way I look at it, you know, you're not going to have a, a moisture content. The way I look at it is, okay, you're pushing in a soil probe, right? And you're able to mm-hmm. push it in. Okay, that's good. If you're really having to jump on that sucker, that's starting to get to the point of, okay, it's, it's probably going to get a little too dry. And if you're not able to get that 8-inch sample and, and know, and then once you have have that core in your hand and you're having a hard time crumble that sucker up, mm-hmm. that's probably going to be on the too dry side. Yeah, I think the big issue a lot of times when it's it's true dry is one getting the correct depth that we wanted and sometimes you know it's just so hard to pull soil samples that you just can't get the the amount of soil samples as well so they're just not consistent across that entire area Um, so if you're really having issues getting that probe in the ground and just getting you know really tired out with taking samples that's where it probably could be too dry for that that soil sample the question was can it be too muddy um, I think the big thing on being too wet or muddy, uh, I don't think you're going to have as much issue on what the numbers come back as. So like the potassium type issue, I think the issue with that is, okay, is it so sloppy, muddy, nasty that your, your depth control is not there, right? And it's, I mean, it, when I think of muddy, I'm thinking about, okay, I've hit the water, the water table on some of my samples and they're just sliding right out. Or, you know, but I mean, if you got adequate moisture, uh, you should be fine. Mud, okay, it's more about depth control. In terms of the potassium numbers or anything else, I don't think that's an mm-hmm. issue. The only other one, and I might uh, lean on, on Dan on this one, is if you happen to use that soil sample in season for like a pre-side dress nitrogen test or something like that, that, that may be something because you're looking at a nutrient uh, analysis that is very mobile versus some of the more stable ones like potassium and phosphorus. Yeah, the, the, if you're looking at 
you know, pre-side dress nitrogen tests, which are, you know, some somewhat common, not as common. You know, it's more for folks that use manure and want to yep. see how much available nitrogen is there. But there's been some interesting uh, work done recently um, with that type of soil test where they took it in the field and, you know, actually you want more of a more wet type soil sample with those samples and they actually did some university tests where they left some of the soil samples in the truck for a week and then they left some of the soil samples in the up in the building for a week and then they sent them in just right out of the field and it was pretty interesting just how drastic some of those those results actually changed from the the nitrogen side so it's I think from the nitrogen side it's really important to kind of check with you know those labs and, and what they recommend in terms of, of having I think for the nitrogen it's actually have more of a moist soil test um, but if you you know leave it in your truck and it gets really hot and for a period of time it can change the results or you you know forget about it for two weeks that can change your results so that's that's pretty important on some of the nitrogen side yeah and with that what you're describing basically is you're just creating an environment for the microbes to continue to break down mm -hmm. the, the organic matter and so you're gonna have a, a real high flush of the nitrogen the other nutrients that we typically think about on normal soil sampling mm -hmm. probably not going to be a big deal yeah any other questions for dan and sean anyone anyone yeah. Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. <laughs> uh, well, a couple of final thoughts here as we wrap up today's podcast. Uh, want Dan's wife is here. Dan's new wife is here, and I understand. Yeah. I just just a thumbs up. We hear that he's an incredible dancer. Is that <laughs> is that I correct? I got video yeah. proof of that. Okay, so just wanted to get that out there. Dancing uh, Queen Dan. Yes, yes. Uh, so uh, just again, we do this at least once a month. During the season, we got try to get together once every couple of weeks and just talk about what's happening out there in your field. It's called the Purdue Crop Chat Podcast, and it's available at HoosierAgToday.com. It's available on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, and you can just subscribe to the Hoosier Ag Today podcast and get it. You can get it through Purdue's channel. They've got one as well for just the Purdue Crop Chat Podcast. But a lot of things you can do to, to check this out. We get together every so often and just have this conversation. We talk about crops, and it's a great partnership that we have with Purdue Extension, and uh, we really appreciate you guys. Sean, any final thoughts here today? Yeah, just as you're looking at the coming season, you know, the, the fertility aspect, I want to make sure we get those fields just right. You know, those are going to be setting the stage for, for what potential we have. Um, we've got a, a summary that's coming out on our seeding rate recommendations and, mm -hmm. and how things have changed in that regard. And so we've got a lot of flexibility on that. So just kind of be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. uh, seed treatments, and you're looking to shave some cost, I, I think, and we didn't talk about it, so I'll go ahead and say it right quick. Most cases, we really don't need an insecticide seed treatment on the soybean side. But if you're pushing planting dates, uh, the fungus side seed treatments are a nice spot for us cutting costs i think that resonates with people right yep. yeah yeah <laughs> dan any final thoughts no i think uh, as we look forward i was actually kind of pleasantly you know happy to see some of this rainfall uh we got this this these last couple of days i think there's a little level of concern with just how dry we were this fall um if we're actually you know that's always the the kind of the bad side with the dry fall is if whether or not we're going to head into spring being dry and starting off dry you don't you don't really want that i know like states like iowa and stuff has have had to deal with that the last couple of years so hopefully we're able to catch some more rainfall some more snow coverage so we can kind of recharge some of those soils heading in the spring um, but i think this fall you know with the conditions we had and the harvest timing we had just a lot more folks were able to get a lot more done this fall i think fields are going to be a lot more fit coming in next year i think fertility you know you think about where the prices were the year before maybe fields got you know skipped or just didn't apply as much as they had in the years past so i think a lot of folks were able to get a lot of that stuff kind of back up to where where it needed to be and heading in the spring i think it seems like a lot of folks are in 
pretty good position uh, coming in the spring. So, so hopefully we can keep those conditions. Uh, we had our Indiana CCA conference and and listening to uh, some of the the weather folks there. Um, you know, they actually kind of predicting maybe we'd go from a La Nina actually to an El Nino um, this year, which actually allows for a little bit more rainfall. Um, so there's some some of those concerns of you know if, was it going to be really dry coming in next spring? But you know, based on kind of some of their prediction models and stuff, maybe it might be a little bit wetter spring if we do see that that shift uh, this spring. So it'll be interesting to to see what happens. And you know, I I would say you know this is the is this the second year uh, they had this uh, here, Grand here at Grand Park. Grand Park. Yes. Yeah. It's a, you know I always enjoy doing this. It's a great great show here. Um, a lot of really cool equipment. A lot of new technology. You know, we talk about drones and you know the planner technology and just all the you know the bells and whistles and all the the fancy technology is is really exciting to come even for us as, as researchers to, to come and see and um, you know another aspect in my program you know this is kind of my first full year of having you know full uh, heavy research load so we're hoping you know we're working on a lot of reports and actually trying to put together kind of a nice research booklet uh, for folks every year so hopefully that can come out in the in the coming weeks as as well a couple of thank yous here before we wrap up. Uh, longtime sponsor of this podcast, the Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoffs, the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, and Indiana Soybean Alliance. So thank you to them. I also want to say thank you to the two of you. Um, you guys put up with me an awful lot, um, <laughs> like at the beginning of this podcast you did for a little while. Uh, so I thank you for doing that. And, and at Hoosier Ag Today, we wanted to say Merry Christmas to you. Andy, would you bring – we've got some gifts – for Dan right. and Sean, oh, right. and um, yeah, go ahead here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yes. take that away. There yeah, you they full there, of money. There you go. Yeah. Uh, full of money? No, they're not full oh. of money. Um, so, so some backpacks here <laughs> with with the hat logo, Hoosier Ag today on it. Um, if you guys want to use them, that's fine. If you want to, you know, give them to your graduate assistants who actually, you know, do the care, work, do, do the, the work, work. And, okay. and and you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're riding on their coattails all the time. You can give it to them too. Whatever you want to do with it, but uh, but thank you very much well, for the work you. you do. And uh, Andy and I will expect our gifts here before Christmas. So uh, thank you. It sounds no. good. It's a it's a life lesson in basketball. We're about about ten minutes away. That's going to be your lesson. Let's come to school. No, I was I was just going to say. You know, we appreciate who's your act today because you guys do all the work as well for this podcast that's, you know we have that's true we have, i do all you know, the work what, for this what podcast. what do we do you know we have grad students and undergrads and then we have you all that and take care of our me, podcast yeah. you know and, yeah, exactly <laughs> thank you for coming today really appreciate it dan and sean i'm sure we'll still be around here for a little while if you want to come ask them a question thank you for joining us for the purdue crop chat podcast thank you for being here at the indiana farm equipment and technology expo this has been purdue crop chat a regular series featuring purdue extensions dr dan quinn and dr sean castile made possible by the indiana corn and soybean checkoffs the indiana corn marketing council and the indiana soybean alliance the checkoffs are pleased to help bring you agronomy insights from purdue extension purdue crop chat a service of Purdue University Extension and Hoosier Ag Today, timely, relevant, credible.